0: chapter 21 of joshua by george ebers this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 21 ephraim cowered in the shadow of the tent from which he had slipped and pressed his ear close to the wall he had cautiously ripped a small opening in a seam of the cloth so he could see and hear what was passing in the lighted room of the woman he loved the storm kept everyone within the tents whom duty did not summon into the open air and ephraim had less reason to fear discovery on account of the deep shadow that rested on the spot where he lay the nurse's cloak covered him and though shiver after shiver shook his young limbs it was due to the bitter anguish that pierced his soul the man on whose breast he saw kasana lay her head was a prince a person of high rank and gray power and the capricious beauty did not always repel the bold man when his lips sought those for whose kiss ephraim so ardently longed she owed him nothing it is true yet her heart belonged to his uncle whom she had preferred to all others she had declared herself ready to endure the most terrible things for his liberation and now his own eyes told him that she was false and faithless that she granted to another what belonged to one alone She had bestowed caresses on him, too. But these were only the crumbs that fell from Hosea's table. A robbery. He confessed it with a blush. He had perpetrated on his uncle. Yet he felt offended, insulted, deceived, and consumed to his inmost soul, with fierce jealousy on behalf of his uncle, whom he honored, nay, loved, though he had opposed his wishes. And Hosea? Why, he too, like himself this princely suitor and all other men must love her spite of his strange conduct at the well by the roadside it was impossible for him to do otherwise and now safe from the poor prisoner's resentment she was basely treacherously enjoying another's tender caresses Sipta, he had heard at their last meeting was his uncle's foe and it was to him that she betrayed the man she loved the chink in the tent was ready to show him everything that occurred within but he often closed his eyes that he might not behold it often it is true the hateful scene held him in thrall by a mysterious spell and he would fain have torn the walls of the tent asunder struck the detested egyptian to the ground and shouted into the faithless woman's face the name of hosea coupled with the harshest reproaches The fervent passion which had taken possession of him was suddenly transformed to hate and scorn. He had believed himself to be the happiest of mortals, and he had suddenly become the most miserable. No one, he believed, had ever experienced such a fall from the loftiest heights to the lowest depths. The nurse had been right. Not save misery and despair could come to him from so faithless a woman." once he started up to fly but he again heard the bewitching tones of her musical laugh and mysterious powers detained him forcing him to listen at first the seething blood had throbbed so violently in his ears that he felt unable to follow the dialogue in the lighted tent but by degrees he grasped the purport of the whole sentences and now he understood all that they said not a word of their further conversation escaped him and it was absorbing enough though it revealed a gulf from which he shrank shuddering kasana refused the bold suitor many favors for which he pleaded but this only impelled him to beseech her more fervently to give herself to him and the prize he offered in return was the highest gift of earth the place by his side as queen on the throne of egypt to which he aspired he said this distinctly but what followed was harder to understand for the passionate suitor was in great haste, and often interrupted his hasty sentences to assure Kasana, to whose hands in this hour he was committing his life and liberty, of his changeless love, or to soothe her when the boldness of his advances awakened fear and aversion. But he soon began to speak of the letter whose bearer Ephraim had been, and after reading it aloud and explaining it, the youth realized with a slight shudder that he had become an accomplice, In the most criminal of all plots, and for a moment the longing stole over him to betray the traitors and deliver them into the hand of the mighty sovereign whose destruction they were plotting. But he repelled the thought and merely sunned himself in the pleasurable consciousness, the first during this cruel hour, of holding Kasana and her royal lover in his hand as one holds a beetle by a string. This had a favorable effect on him and restored the confidence and courage he had lost the baser the things he continued to hear the more clearly he learned to appreciate the value of the goodness and truth which he had lost his uncle's words too came back to his memory give no man from the loftiest to the lowliest a right to regard you save with respect and you can hold your head as high as the proudest warrior who ever wore purple robe and golden armor on the couch in kasana's house while shaking with fever he had constantly repeated this sentence but in the misery of captivity and on his flight it had again vanished from his memory in the courtier's tent when after he had bathed and perfumed himself the old slave held a mirror before him he had given it a passing thought but now it mastered his whole soul And strange to say, the worthless traitor within wore a purple coat and golden mail, and looked like a military hero. But he could not hold his head erect, for the work he sought to accomplish could only succeed in the secrecy that shuns the light, and was like the labor of the hideous mole, which undermines the ground in the darkness. His tool was the repulsive cloven-foot trio, falsehood, fraud, and faithlessness, and she whom he had chosen for his helpmate was the woman it shamed him to his inmost soul for whom he had been in the act of sacrificing all that was honorable precious and dear to him. The worst infamies which he had been taught to shun were the rounds of the ladder on which this evil man intended to mount. The roll the youth had brought to the camp contained two letters. The first was from the conspirators in Tanis, the second from Sipta's mother the former desired his speedy return and told him that the syrian arsu the commander of the foreign mercenaries who guarded the palace as well as the women's house was ready to do him homage if the high priest of amon who was at once chief judge viceroy and keeper of the seal proclaimed him king he was sovereign and could enter the palace which stood open to him and ascend the throne without resistance if pharaoh returned the bodyguards would take him prisoner and remove him as siptah who like no half-way measures has secretly directed while the chief priest insisted upon keeping him in mild imprisonment nothing was to be feared save the premature return from thebes of seti the second son of menefeta for the former after his older brother's death had become heir to the throne and carrier doves had brought news yesterday that he was now on his way therefore siptah and the powerful priest who was to proclaim him king were urged to the utmost haste the necessary measures had been adopted in case of possible resistance from the army for as soon as the hebrews had been destroyed the larger portion of the troops without any suspicion of the impending dethronement of their commander-in-chief would be sent to their former stations the bodyguards were devoted to Sipta, and the others who entered the capital, should worst come to worst, could be easily overpowered by Arsu and his mercenaries. There is nothing farther for me to do, said the prince, stretching himself comfortably like a man who has successfully accomplished a toilsome task, except to rush back to Tanis in a few hours with Bai, have myself crowned and proclaimed king in the temple of Amon, and finally received in the palace as pharaoh the rest will take care of itself seti whom they call the heir to the throne is just another weakling as his father and must submit to a fixed fact or if necessary be forced to do so the captain of the bodyguards will see that menefeta does not again enter the palace in the city of rameses the second letter which was addressed to the pharaoh had been written by the mother of the prince in order to recall her son and the chief priest by to the capital as quickly as possible without exposing the former to the reproach of cowardice, for having quitted the army so shortly before the battle. Though she had never been better, she protested with hypocritical complaints and entreaties, that the hours of her life were numbered, and besought the king to send her son and the chief priest by, to her without delay, that she might be permitted to bless her only child before her death. She was conscious of many a sin, and no one save the high priest possessed the power of winning the favour of the gods for her a dying woman without his intercession she would perish in despair this letter too the base robber of a crown read aloud called it a clever bit of feminine strategy and rubbed his hands gleefully treason murder hypocrisy fraud shameful abuse of the most sacred feelings nay all that was evil must serve siptah to steal the throne and though kasana had wrung her hands and shed tears when she heard that he meant to remove pharaoh from his path she grew calmer after the prince had represented that her own father had approved of his arrangements for the deliverance of egypt from the hand of the king her destroyer the letter from the prince's mother to pharaoh the mother who urged her own son to the most atrocious crimes was the last thing ephraim heard for it roused in the young hebrew who was wont to consider nothing purer and more sacred than the bonds which united parents and children such fierce indignation that he raised his fists threateningly and springing up opened his lips and muttered invective. he did not hear that kasana made the prince swear that if he attained the sovereign power he would grant her first request it should cost him neither money nor lands and only give her the right to exercise mercy where her heart demanded it for things were in store which must challenge the wrath of the gods and he must leave her to soothe it ephraim could not endure to see or hear more of these abominable things for the first time he felt how great a danger he ran of being dragged into this marsh and becoming a lost evil man but never he thought would he have been so corrupt so worthless as this prince his uncle's words again returned to his mind and he now raised his head proudly and arched his chest as if to assure himself of his own unbroken valour saying meanwhile with a long breath that he was of too much worth to ruin himself for the sake of a wicked woman even though like asana she was the fairest and most bewitching under the sun away away from the neighbourhood of this net which threatened to entangle him in murder and every deed of infamy resolved to seek his people he turned toward the gate of the camp but after a few hasty steps paused and a glance at the sky showed him that it was the second hour past midnight every surrounding object was buried in silence save that from the neighboring dens of the royal steeds came the sound of the rattle of a chain or of the stamp of a stallion's hoof if he risked escaping from the camp now he could not fail to be seen and stopped prudence commanded him to curb his impatience and as he glanced around his eyes rested on the chamberlain's tent from which the old slave had just emerged to look for his master who was still waiting in the prince's tent for his lord's return the old man had treated ephraim kindly and now asked him with good-natured urgency to come in and rest for the youth needed sleep and ephraim accepted the well-meant invitation he felt for the first time how weary his feet were, and he had scarcely stretched himself upon the mats which the old slave, it was his own, spread on the floor of the tent for him, ere the feeling came over him that his limbs were relaxing, and yet he had expected to find here time and rest for calm deliberation. He began, too, to think of the future and his uncle's commission that he must join his people without delay was decided if they escaped pharaoh's army the others could do what they pleased his duty was to summon his shepherds servants and the youths of his own age and with them hurry to the mines to break joshua's chains and bring him back to his old father and the people who needed him he already saw himself with a sling in his girdle and a battle-axe in his hand rushing on in advance of the others when sleep overpowered him and bound the sorely wearied youth so firmly and sweetly that even dreams remained aloof from his couch and when morning came the old slave was obliged to shake him to rouse him the camp was already pervaded with bustling life tents were struck asses and ox-carts laden steeds curried and newly shod chariots washed weapons and harnesses cleaned breakfast was distributed and eaten At intervals the blare of trumpets was heard in one direction, loudly shouted commands in another, and from the eastern portion of the camp echoed the chanting of the priests, who devoutly greeted the new-born sun-god. A gilded chariot, followed by a similar one, drove up to the costly purple tent beside Kasanas, which active servants were beginning to take down. Prince Sipta and the chief priest Bai had received Pharaoh's permission to set off for Tanis, to fulfill the wish of a dying woman soon after ephraim took leave of the old slave and bade him give kasana's nurse the cloak and tell her that the messenger had followed her advice and his uncle's then he set out on his walk he escaped unchallenged from the egyptian camp and as he entered the wilderness he heard the shout with which he called his shepherds in the pastures the cry resounding far over the plain startled a sparrow-hawk which was gazing into the distance from a rock and as the bird soared upward the youth fancied that if he stretched out his arms wings must unfold strong enough to bear him also through the air never had he felt so light and active so strong and free nay had the priest at this hour asked him the question whether he would accept the office of a captain of thousands in the egyptian army he would undoubtedly have answered, as he did before the ruined house of Nun, that his sole desire was to remain a shepherd and rule his flocks and servants. He was an orphan, but he had a nation, and where his people were was his home. Like a wanderer who, after a long journey, sees his home in the distance, he quickened his pace. He had reached Tanis on the night of the new moon, and the round silver shield, which was paling in the morning light, was the same which had then risen before his eyes. Yet it seemed as though years lay between his farewell of Miriam and the present hour, and the experiences of a life had been compressed into these few days. He had left his tribe a boy, he returned a man, yet thanks to this one terrible night he had remained unchanged. He could look those whom he loved and reverenced fearlessly in the face. Nay, more! he would show the man whom he most esteemed that he too ephraim could hold his head high he would repay joshua for what he had done when he remained in chains and captivity that he his nephew might go forth as free as a bird after hurrying onward an hour he reached a ruined watch-tower climbed to its summit and saw at a short distance beyond the mount of baal which had long towered majestically on the horizon the glittering northern point of the red sea the storm it is true had subsided but he perceived by the surging of its emerald surface that the sea was by no means calm and single black clouds in the sky elsewhere perfectly clear seemed to indicate an approaching tempest he gazed around him asking himself what the leader of the people probably intended if as the prince had told kasana they had encamped between piahiroth whose huts and tents rose before him on the narrow gulf the northwestern arm of the red sea thrust into the land and the mount of baal Zephan. had siptah lied in this too no this time the malicious traitor had departed from his usual custom for between the sea and the village where the wind was blowing slender columns of smoke asunder his falcon eye discovered many light spots resembling a distant flock of sheep and among and beside them a singular movement to and fro upon the sands it was the camp of his people how short seemed the distance that separated him from them yet the nearer it was the greater became his anxiety lest the great multitude with the women and children herds and tents could not escape the vast army which must overtake them in a few hours his heart shrank as he gazed around him for neither to the east where a deeper estuary was surging nor southward where the red sea tossed its angry waves nor even toward the north where pharaoh's army was marching was escape possible to the west lay the wilderness of aon and if the wanderers escaped in that direction and were pressed farther they would again enter Egyptian soil, and the exodus would have been utterly defeated. So there was nothing left save to risk a battle, and at the thought, a chill ran through the youth's veins, for he knew how badly armed, untrained, savage, unmanageable, and cowardly were the men of his race, and had witnessed the march of the powerful, well-equipped Egyptian army, with its numerous foot soldiers and superb war chariots to him now as to his uncle a short time before his people seemed doomed to certain destruction unless succored by the god of his fathers in former years and just before his departure miriam with sparkling eyes and enthusiastic words had praised the power and majesty of this omnipotent lord who preferred his people above all other nations but the lofty words of the prophetess had filled his childish heart with a slight fear of the unapproachable greatness and terrible wrath of this god it had been easier for him to uplift his soul to the sun god when his teacher a kind and merry-hearted egyptian priest led him to the temple of pithom in later years he had felt no necessity of appealing to any god for he lacked nothing and while other boys obeyed their parents commands the shepherds who well knew the flocks they tended belonged to him, called him their young master, and first in jest, then in earnest, paid him all the honors due of ruler, which prematurely increased his self-importance, and made him an obstinate fellow. He whom stalwart strong men obeyed, was sufficient unto himself, and felt that others needed him, and, as nothing was more difficult for him than to ask a favor, great or small, from any one, he rebelled against praying to a god so far off and high above him but now when his heart was oppressed by the terrible destiny that threatened his people he was overwhelmed by the feeling that only the greatest and mightiest could deliver them from this terrible unspeakable peril as if no one could withstand this powerful army save he whose might could destroy heaven and earth what were they that the most high whom miriam and hosea described as so pre-eminently great should care for them yet his people numbered many thousands and god had not disdained to make them his and promise great things for them in the future now they were on the verge of destruction and he ephraim who came from the camp of the enemy was perhaps the sole person who saw the full extent of the danger suddenly he was filled with the conviction that it was incumbent upon him above all others to tell the god of his fathers who perhaps in caring for earth and heaven sun and stars had forgotten the fate of his people of the terrible danger impending and beseech him to save them he was still standing on the top of the ruined tower and raised his arms and face toward heaven in the north he saw the black clouds which he had noticed in the blue sky swiftly massing and rolling hither and thither the wind which had subsided after sunrise was increasing in strength and power and rapidly becoming a storm it swept across the isthmus in gusts which followed one another more and more swiftly driving before them dense clouds of yellow sand he must lift up his voice loudly that the god to whom he prayed might hear him in his lofty heaven so with all the strength of his young lungs he shouted into the storm adonai adonai thou whom they call jehovah mighty god of my fathers hear me ephraim a young inexperienced lad of whom in his insignificance thou hast probably never thought i ask nothing for myself but the people whom thou dost call thine are in sore peril they have left durable houses and good pastures because thou didst promise them a better and more beautiful land and they trusted in thee and thy promises but now the army of pharaoh is approaching so great a host that our people will never be able to resist it thou must believe this Eli, my lord i have seen it and been in its midst so surely as i stand here I know that it is too mighty for thy people. Pharaoh's power will crush them, as the hoofs of the cattle trample the grain on the threshing floor. And my people, who are also thine, are encamped in a spot where Pharaoh's warriors can cut them down from all directions, so that there is no way for them to fly, not one. I saw it distinctly from this very spot. Hear me now, Adonai. But canst thou hear my words, O Lord, in such a tempest? surely thou canst for they call thee omnipotent and if thou dost hear me and dost understand the meaning of my words thou wilt see with thy mighty eyes if such is thy will that i speak the truth then thou wilt surely remember the vow thou didst make to the people through thy servant moses among the egyptians i have witnessed treachery and murder and shameful viles their deeds have filled me who am myself but a sinful inexperienced youth with horror and indignation. How couldst thou, from whom all good is said to proceed, and whom Miriam calls truth itself, act like those abominable men, and break faith with those who trusted in thee? I know, thou great and mighty one, that this is far from thee. Nay, perhaps it is a sin even to cherish such a thought. Hear me, Adonai. Look northward at the troops of the Egyptians, Who will surely soon leave their camp and march forward and southward to the peril of thy people for whom escape is no longer possible and thou wilt rescue them by thy omnipotence and great wisdom for thou hast promised them a new country and if they are destroyed how can they reach it with these words he finished his prayer which though boyish and incoherent gushed from the inmost depths of his heart then he sprang with long leaps from the ruined tower to the barren plain at his feet and ran southward as fleetly as if he were escaping from captivity a second time he felt how the wind rushing from the northeast urged him forward and told himself that it would also hasten the march of pharaoh's soldiers perhaps the leaders of his people did not yet know how vast was the military power that threatened them and undervalued the danger in which their position placed them but he saw it and could give them every information haste was necessary and he felt as though he had gained wings in this race with the storm the village of Payahiroth was soon gained and while dashing by it without pausing he noticed that its huts and tents were deserted by men and cattle perhaps its inhabitants had fled with their property to a place of safety before the advancing egyptian troops or the hosts of his own people the farther he went the more cloudy became the sky which here so rarely failed to show a sunny vault of blue at noonday the more fiercely howled the tempest his thick locks fluttered wildly around his burning head he panted for breath yet flew on on while his sandals seemed to him to scarcely touch the ground the nearer he came to the sea the louder grew the howling and whistling of the storm the more furious the roar of the waves, dashing against the rocks of Baal-Zaphon. Now, a short hour after he had left the tower, he reached the first tents of the camp, and the familiar cry, Unclean, as well as the mourning robes of those whose scaly, disfigured faces looked forth from the ruins of the tents, which the storm had overthrown, informed him that he had reached the lepers, whom Moses had commanded to remain outside the camp yet so great was his haste that instead of making a circuit around their quarter he dashed straight through at his utmost speed nor did he pause even when a lofty palm uprooted by the tempest fell to the ground so close beside him that the fan-shaped leaves in its crown brushed his face at last he gained the tents and pinfolds of his people not a few of which had also been overthrown and asked the first acquaintances he met for none, the father of his dead mother and of joshua he had gone down to the shore with moses and other elders of the people ephraim followed him there and the damp salt sea air refreshed him and cooled his brow yet he could not instantly get speech with him so he collected his thoughts recovered his breath while watching the men whom he sought talking eagerly with some gaily clad phoenician sailors a youth like ephraim might not venture to interrupt the gray-haired heads of the people in the discussion which evidently referred to the sea for the hebrews constantly pointed to the end of the bay and the phoenicians sometimes thither sometimes to the mountain and the sky sometimes to the north the centre of the still increasing tempest a projecting wall sheltered the old men from the hurricane yet they found it difficult to stand erect even while supported by their staves and clinging to the stones of the masonry at last the conversation ended and while the youth saw the gigantic figure of moses go with slow yet firm steps among the leaders of the hebrews down to the shore of the sea nun supported by one of his shepherds was working his way with difficulty but as rapidly as possible toward the camp he wore a mourning robe and while the others looked joyous and hopeful when they departed his handsome face framed by his snow-white beard and hair had the expression of one whose mind and body were burdened by grief not until ephraim called him did he raise his drooping leonine head and when he saw him he started back in surprise and terror and clung more firmly to the strong arm of the shepherd who supported him tidings of the cruel fate of his son and grandson had reached him through the freed slaves he had left in tanis and the old man had torn his garments strewed ashes on his head, donned mourning robes, and grieved bitterly for his beloved, noble only son, and promising grandson. Now Ephraim was standing before him, and after Nun had laid his hand on his shoulders, and kissed him again and again, he asked if his son was still alive, and remembered him and his people. As soon as the youth had joyfully assured him that such was the case, Nun threw his arms around the boy's shoulders, that henceforth, his own blood instead of a stranger should protect him from the violence of the storm he had grave and urgent duties to fulfil from which nothing might withhold him yet as the fiery youth shouted into his ear through the roar of the hurricane on their way through the camp that he would summon his shepherds and the companions of his own age to release hosea who now called himself joshua old nun's impetuous spirit awoke and clasping Ephraim closer to his heart, he cried out that though an old man, he was not yet too aged to swing an axe, and go with Ephraim's youthful band to liberate his son. His eyes sparkled through his tears, and waving his free hand aloft, he cried, The God of my fathers, on whom I learned to rely, watches over his faithful people. Do you see the sand, seaweed, and shells yonder at the end of the estuary? an hour ago the place was covered with water and roaring waves were dashing their white spray upward that is the way boy which promises escape if the wind holds the water so the experienced phoenicians assure us will recede still farther toward the sea their god of the north wind they say is favorable to us and their boys are already lighting a fire to him on the summit of baal zaphon yonder but we know that it is another who is opening to us a path to the desert we were in evil case my boy yes grandfather cried the youth you were trapped like lions in the snare and the egyptian host it passed me from the first man to the last is mighty and unconquerable i hurried as fast as my feet could carry me to tell you how many heavily armed troops bowmen steeds and chariots we know we know the old man interrupted but here we are HE POINTED TO AN OVERTURNED TENT WHICH HIS SERVANTS WERE TRYING TO PROP, AND BESIDE WHICH AN AGED HEBREW, HIS FATHER ELISHIMA, WRAPPED IN CLOTH, SAT IN THE CHAIR IN WHICH HE WAS CARRIED BY BEARERS. NUN hastily shouted a few words, and led Ephraim toward him, but while the youth was embracing his great-grandfather, who hugged and caressed him, NUN, WITH YOUTHFUL VIVACITY, WAS ISSUING ORDERS TO THE SHEPHERDS AND SERVANTS let the tent fall men the storm has begun the work for you wrap the covering round the poles load the carts and beasts of burden move briskly you gadai shammah and jacob join the others the hour for departure has come everybody must hasten to harness the animals put them in the wagons and prepare all things as fast as possible the almighty shows us the way and everyone must hasten in his name and by the command of moses keep strictly to the old order we head the procession then come the other tribes lastly the strangers and leprous men and women rejoice o ye people for our god is working a great miracle and making the sea dry land for us his chosen people let every one thank him while working and pray from the depths of the heart that he will continue to protect us let all who do not desire to be slain by the sword and crushed by the weight of pharaoh's chariots Put forth their best strength and forget rest. That will await us as soon as we have escaped the present peril. Down with the tent cover yonder. I'll roll it up myself. Lay hold, boy. Look across at the children of Manasseh. They are already packing and loading. That's right, Ephraim. You know how to use your hands. What more have we to do? My head, my forgetful old head. So much has come upon me at once. You have nimble feet, Refu i undertook to warn the strangers to prepare for a speedy departure run quickly and hurry them that they may not linger too long behind the people time is precious lord lord my god extend thy protecting hand over thy people and roll the waves still farther back with the tempest thy mighty breath let every one pray silently while working the omnipresent one who sees the heart will hear it that load is too heavy for you ephraim you are lifting beyond your strength no the youth has mastered it followed his example men and ye of succoth rejoice in your master's strength the last words were addressed to ephraim's shepherds men and maid servants most of whom shouted a greeting to him in the midst of their work kissed his arm or hand and rejoiced at his return they were engaged in packing and wrapping their goods and in gathering harnessing and loading the animals which could only be kept together by blows and shouts the people from succoth wished to vie with their young master those from tanis with their lord's grandson and the other owners of flocks and lesser men of the tribe of ephraim whose tents surrounded that of their chief nun did the same in order not to be surpassed by others yet several hours elapsed ere all the tents household utensils and provisions for man and beast were again in their places on the animals and in the carts and the aged feeble and sick had been laid on litters or in wagons sometimes the gale bore from the distance to the spot where the ephraimites were busily working the sound of moses's deep voice or the higher tones of aaron but neither they nor the men of the tribe of judah heeded the monition for the latter were ruled by her and nashan and beside the former stood his newly wedded wife miriam it was different with the other tribes and the strangers To the obstinacy and cowardice of those chiefs was due the present critical position of the people. End of chapter 21